down with dudes. But tonight is a special Welcome episode. into the PBA Pod Damn It podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hughes. I have a plethora, I'm using that word today, plethora of co-hosts today, filling uh, Mikey Brulette's uh, seat here. I've got Bill from Long Island. I've got Jeff from Dublin. And I also have Shane from the t- Notorious Milkman uh, here as well. How are you boys doing tonight? Doing great. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Doing well. well Shane has been nice enough to uh, set up a bunch of topics for us. We are in the off season, as you boys know. And um, without any further ado, we're going to jump right into it because we do have uh, quite a few topics that Shane wanted to get through. So Shane, why don't you throw out the first topic uh, for discussion here at the round table? Yeah. So I'll uh, try to keep uh, Mikey's uh, seat warm here while he's uh, busy, but we want to kind of just do um, just some league updates. Um, so Monday is opening day, so it's probably a good time to start to whittle down um, your rosters from um, if you have 50 to 60, um, probably whittle that down to, you know, 30 to 35. So, um, and then next um, league rules, we had three league rules that went through. Um, we had the, <laughs> the, <laughs> we had the pinpoint bonus for teams that take less than 10 hours total during the draft, which failed at 57%. Um, second one was the play um the schedule the playoff schedules um essentially just changing it from day one we're doing games one and two day two games three four and five and then day three game six and seven that one passed at 77 percent and then the last one was if you use pinpoints to purchase cash for one season you have to skip next season and that failed at 55 percent so um was there any uh uh, anything around that that you wanted to kind of chime in on yeah, it sounds like guys really like their pinpoints. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, uh, let's start with that one because I think that one's probably the at least the least controversial. Right. Um, at least to me. I mean, that, that one, I, you know, Mikey's never uh, enjoyed the whole, you know, spend pinpoints just to basically get yourself out of debt. Um, right. At the same time. I mean, the pinpoints, uh, the, the money is probably like the best thing to use your pinpoints on. Um, but I could see, I, I was actually for it. You know, I, I, I thought it was a good compromise where if you, you know, if you bought kind of, it, essentially it's almost comes into like in the game where like, if you spend money on IFAs, you're basically, you know, out the next season. Um, but obviously, like you said, people like to pimp, likes their dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> Jeff, what's your what's your thoughts on that specific rule as well? The the pinpoints. I know the the kind of the rule as it was in place was, hey, if you're if you use pinpoints this year, if you buy cash, the following year you're you're not able to, so that a team can't continue to just kind of roll over the debt, if you will. Uh, were you for it against it, and what was the logic behind it? Um, I was against it. I, I don't feel too strongly either way, like like Bill, but. Um... Uh, you know, pinpoints to me is one of the most fun fun uh, parts of the uh, of the league, and uh, I I I tend to you know get a, an extra ten million dollars a year. Um, it always comes during crunch time in the budget, and then uh, that extra you know ten million dollars is kind of like a little little Christmas gift. I, I like it, but you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not strongly for it or against it. All right, Shane, I want to come to you then before I provide my my uh, thoughts on that. What, what's your thoughts on the the pinpoint spending, uh, how did you feel about it? And uh, which, which way do you, do you kind of sway? 
Yeah. So I think um, for in terms of just the spending the the pinpoints cash, I kind of just look at it as more or less just inflation, right? So the government will write us all fourteen hundred dollar checks or whatever. It really, if we're all kind of spending that money, it just makes things a little bit more expensive. And then also, if you are carrying over some of that cash, we have revenue sharing. So top teams are also kind of spending money for the bottom. I kind of just see it as a, a moot point, really. Um, and it just it just le- leaves you a little bit more flexibility if you are a team that really wants to spend in a free agency. It allows you to kind of play, I guess you could say. So, so- I'm going to go ahead and, and provide my thoughts because my thoughts are probably the most controversial and, and Bill, the PBA pod damn it podcast financial analyst could uh, back me up on this. So I actually was originally for it, but after I did a little research and thought about it more broadly, I actually switched my vote to being against it. And here's why I am totally for not having a government stimulus and or bill out plan. But the problem is how can you not have a quote-unquote bailout plan if you're going to tax people? Essentially, essentially, um, you're essentially going to hurt teams that make the playoffs. I started off when the playoffs, before the playoffs started, I was 12th in revenue, meaning I was basically at the break-even point, as you guys know. Perfect spot to be at. I'm not going to really pay in much. I think it was like 1 million bucks I was going to pay in. I'm not paying in much. I'm not going to lose much. It's going to be about the same. Well, I had two seven game, or excuse me, yeah, two seven game series and um, ended up, ended up making like $48 million in the playoffs and actually shot all the way up to number two. And needless to say, I ended up paying in like $18 million. My budget went down. And honestly, without the pinpoints, I wouldn't have even been able to afford the current roster that I have. I mean, you guys know I haven't really been active this offseason. I would not have been able to afford the current roster I had. Now, the projection from last year, I would have been able to afford it. But my budget actually went down like uh, $12 million over last year. So my – you know, my only – my only – I guess the long way to say it is my only issue is, is that I don't necessarily love the pinpoints, but at the same time, the way that the league is currently set up, I feel like it's kind of set up in a way that to where it benefits the people that don't make the playoffs, the teams that the teams that are not all in, if you will. Like I understand now that I've made the playoffs the last couple of years, I understand Christian's gripe and Bill I'm sure you as well because I know your team regardless of what the record you always make a ton of money like it does it does suck because you know you made a ton of money and then all of a sudden you make the playoffs you have you know back-to-back seven game series or whatever and I'm sure it shot you up as well it is one of those situations where I feel like the pinpoints is necessary for a playoff team in order to offset the amount of money that I'm going to have to give away. Like, I feel like playoff revenue should not be included in that. And I know that that's a whole yeah. other discussion for a whole nother time, but that's the only reason why I changed my votes because like I said, I ended up giving up $17 million, which lowered my budget 12 million bucks. So the pinpoints was necessary in order to keep maintain my team together. You guys know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I can definitely understand that. I mean, I, I like the money um, myself, just even though I voted for it, um, just because I, again, I didn't really care, but I know Mikey's had it 
as one of his top gripes for a while. So I was just like, whatever. I got, I can't vote against everything. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, I, the, the whole, yeah. And the whole playoff thing is a separate conversation um, because I, it's very hard because, you know, we talked about the financials and it's really hard to, to try to gauge trying to finish in the same. Correct. You know, even if you're, you know, you can't even, even if, budget that. Yeah. You can't budget be like, <laughs> Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to pay $18 million. And then all of a sudden you don't make the playoffs and now you have way either too much money or too little money. So it, it yeah, that's a little, it is a little frustrating. Right. And, and the other thing is, too, is, like, you know, and I understand that, like, if for whatever reason this year, it seemed a little crazier than normal. But I think every series I had, whether it be with Tampa Bay or, uh, you know, um, you know, the original series with Cologne or, or even the series uh, after that with Paris, like, I feel like every series I was in went six or seven games. So it's like, you know, I, you end up making forty five million dollars in the playoffs. Like, that's a vast difference over where you realistically should have ended up to where you're going to end up when you only have 24 teams. Yeah. All right. Do either, either of you other guys have a, a comment or want to chime in, or do you guys want to move on to the next, uh, the next rule? We can roll. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to start with you, Jeff, on this one. Um, what was your thoughts um, on the, uh, cause I know you brought it up, but the, um, the pinpoints for keeping it under 10 hours. What was the thought process in mm-hmm. kind of bringing that league <laughs> rule up? And then also, you know, how the rule ended up. Yeah. My, my, uh, my feeling was uh, the experience of this past draft was uh, kind of painful. It got hung up on a few particular people for, you know, 12, 16, 18 hours at a time. And uh, it, it just, it just dragged a lot. And um, I, I was just trying to think of any way we could encourage people to, you know, uh, move it along a lot. You know, I don't want anyone to be penalized if, um, you know, if, if their pick comes up in the middle of the night and they're asleep and of course they, they can't make mm-hmm. a pick. So I was trying to find a balance, um, between, you know, Gary suggested five hours. I, I didn't, I didn't think that was enough in case the pick came up in the middle of the night. So I suggested 10 hours. Um, Bill, Bill's concern was even with 10 hours, you know, that, you know, that still might, uh, affect people that when their pick comes up in the middle of the night. So, Maybe next time we could suggest 15 hours, 20 hours, whatever, just, just something to get to move the draft along, um, get, get, it, get it going. My thoughts real quick, guys. I, I actually really loved this role, and I voted yes. Now, granted, I know I ended up over the 10-hour because I actually fell into that exact category you're talking about mm-hmm. where my pick, because I'm on the West Coast, several times my yep. pick ends up right in the middle of the evening. Like I actually, two years ago, I actually got auto-picked for – because yeah you might as well but um <laughs> yeah you're good but the point being is that i had my pick picked for me in the second round because it came up in the middle of the night but i am a proponent be the the old owner and i don't want to call anybody out but you know he's not here no more the old owner for montreal i know he used to do roofing i talked to him several times very nice guy but like i can remember man like two three years ago like we, we would be blazing through and all of a sudden it hit him and it's like, like two days. We'd just be staring at the screen waiting to make a pick. And I'm one of these people, I just talked to Shane about this. Like, I can't make a list. I know some people are like, I'm going to make a list and just forget about it. Because if nine, you know, first basemen come off the board, I'm like, well, wait a minute. The talent pool at first base is, is light. Do I have anybody left there that I like? Like, I start overanalyzing things. So I'll make a list of like three or four guys 
But if it's gone through those guys, like I like to actually physically look at it. What I don't understand is why can't we realize and understand, hey, there's people on the West Coast, there's people on the East Coast. If we're starting our Sims at 11 a.m. Eastern time, let's just start start the draft at 11, do our time slots or four-hour time slots, whatever you want, and stop it at, let's just say, 11 o'clock Eastern time, which is eight o'clock Pacific. And then when the next day rolls over, pick it up again. Like, I don't mm -hmm. understand why we have to have the rolling clock when nobody's like, like, like uh, Bill was saying, when everybody's sleeping, like if there's time slots available, there's really no reason to have that counter going, but like, Hey, if you haven't made your pick by this point, then you, then you should get skipped. But, right. and, and, and I will say the, the problem with stats plus, right. Is, and this is what I was trying to make the point of, even if those time slots, right. Even if, cause I'm pretty sure our time slots don't go into the middle of the night. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. But once the draft starts, no matter if the draft is paused or started, that timer does not stop. Which means that even if it's, even when the clock like let's say your pick comes, right? And this is what what my my biggest concern was, and because this happened, right? Because mm -hmm. it's odd that you mentioned Montreal. Montreal, even this year, he picked at like eleven thirty p.m. you know Eastern time, <laughs> and then I think Dublin was next. And and to Gary's point, like when you're second in waiting for twelve hours, yeah, it's like it's very true. easy to have like two guys that you want to pick between, and I normally do that. Right. Like I'll have to, if I'm going to go away, cause I don't want to hold up the draft, but at the same time, like I think Dublin probably had a list and he auto picked yep. and then the, whoever was third or fourth auto picked as well, but it was like round one or round two. And I was like, well, I'm going to wait until the morning. Right. Like I'm not even going to look at the draft until I, you know, right. I pull it up. And then even though there's no picks slotted for that night, the time still goes. And so even though I only spent, you know, let's just say two hours for that one from, let's just say, and that's even if the draft starts at nine in the morning and which I think it doesn't, I think it actually starts at like 10 or 11. So for actual in draft time, I only spent an hour or two, but I was already over the 10 hours. Right. And the, that's, the that's report, what I'm saying. Yeah. And, because I like the idea. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I wish, you know, I want to vote for that if we didn't count the time overnight. Right. You know, it's funny. Like, I just want to bring this up real quick, and then we'll get Shane's take on this. I have another league, and I understand it. It really comes down to participation. But I have another league, and I know this is a ton to put on the GM. But I have another league where the GM will literally update the – draft pool after every pick granted i know it's a lot of work gary i'm sure you're going to come in here and, and bark at me but the thing is is that he'll literally go to each individual person and be like hey there's a draft file up tell me who you want and rather than everybody inputting into stats which which is great but we've already seen what can potentially happen he goes to the individual person and he keeps the running tally of all the players and once all the players are in it legitimately takes like four days it goes way faster because everybody understands 
like, hey, you have to be available. He's going to reach out versus Slack, whether you're working or not, and you can't look at it or whatever, you know, hey, this is the last person picked. It's in the, you know, in the picked player section. My my issue with Stats Plus, and this is something that that you've you've kind of um, alluded to a little bit, is yes, the time thing is is kind of an issue, but I also feel like there needs it doesn't show you any kind of ratings. So if I'm at work and I need to make a selection, it doesn't show you any kind of ratings. It doesn't. It won't. It, right. You know, it, it only the injury rating the, doesn't have. Correct. It only is going to give you the numerical values of the potentials. It doesn't tell you durability. It doesn't tell you traits. It doesn't tell you any of that unless you kind of, you know, work through the profile page and all that. And so, you know, that was something I was kind of hoping that we would figure out as we went into 22 a little bit more. But Shane, what's your, what's your thoughts on this particular rule? And, and, and is there a good compromise considering how we draft here in the PBA? Um, I mean, I voted against the 10 hours, um, kind of to Bill's point, really just kind of whoever's at the end of the night will have that they're just going to kind of lose in the end. My biggest thing is I think it kind of seems to come up every year where there's always some discussion around how long the draft takes. But I, again, I kind of, I kind of think it's um, not as big of an issue as we kind of make it out. We really do have an end date and when all picks have to be in mm -hmm. We're always ahead of the the actual the actual clock before your pick comes up, um, so I I think at times there's sticking points and I think that's probably the frustration in the draft. But I think overall it's a seamless process. I like it on Stats Plus, um, and again I think it's it's more or less just kind of um, maybe times within that draft where picks kind of hang there and around where we just kind of get a little frustrated, but. I guess, yeah. I guess I would, I guess I wish, and maybe this is, <clears throat> you know, just me wanting a little bit more info. I just wish on stats plus there was an easier way to access more information, right? Like I said, like the, I mean, you could look at a guy and he's like, Oh man, this guy, this guy's got 70 power. He's got 45, you know, 45 contact. He's got an 80 eye. You're like, wow, this guy looks good you draft him in the you know the fifth round because you're at work and he's like a, a one-star guy you know and I understand that I'm over embellishing but I'm just saying like I just wish that there was a way I mean stats plus incorporates so much you know even if you had to navigate to you know you know navigate to the profile page I just wish there was a little bit more information that you could obtain um, me personally but once again I, I understand what you're saying Shane like you know I typically like to draft quick. I really do. Like I'm usually pretty, pretty on it when my pick comes up. Um, but I will tell you, you know, obviously we're all adults. We all have kids for the most part. We all have jobs, lives, you know, there really is nothing worse than, you know, it's a Thursday afternoon or whatever. And you're like, okay, I got two people till my pick, you know, and like all of a sudden, you know, there's two days of just complete and utter silence. And now it's the weekend and, you know, maybe you had plans or whatever. And, you know, obviously you're not expecting it to take 48 hours to make, you know, a pick or two. And once again, it, it does happen, but, you know, it just gets frustrating when, you know, we, we pretty much all know like, Hey, you know, there's kind of a gentleman's rule, if you will, like, Hey, 12 hour timeframes at the most. And, you know, sometimes through various reasons, it kind of goes over, but you know, it is what it is. I, you know, I, I do like the concept, Jeff. I think it was a great idea. I just think mm -hmm. it needs some refinements like the, uh, the other guys say, um, right. Bill, the, the, uh, or excuse me, Shane, what was the last rule again? 
Um, the last one was the playoff schedule where it day one, we get games one and two in and then day two, there's games three, four and five. And then days three, game six and seven. And there's some files, I think. What was your days. thoughts on that rule? Um, I, I think really I voted just wherever the, I voted proxy. So I did the same. Yeah. Just because I think it's really, it's just, I mean, ultimately Gary's the one that kind of has to put on these Sims and then obviously whoever's exactly. in the playoffs has to download and just put in their starting pitchers during the day. If they're working, I, I just figure whatever was easier for Gary um, is fine with me. So. Yeah, and I kind of I kind of agree. I did the same thing. I voted proxy. I, I I didn't really honestly see that big of a difference between the current format and the do two games this day than two games this day. Um, Bill, what was your thoughts? Um, so I will say originally, my first gripes was just about Christian's schedule. Like Christian's <laughs> schedule was like, hey, let's take a whole week for a series, and I was like, oh my god, that would suck. Yeah, that would drag. Um, and then I did see, you know, Gary was like, hey, did you guys look at the actual proposal? And I was like, so I looked at it. The the, the two games, the three games, two games, that's actually fine. Like, I'm totally okay with that. I think the part that I'm, and again, you know, it's funny because I'm always the devil's advocate. Whether it's, an, I, I actually referenced our league at work the other day. Because people were like, you always just go on the other side of the debate. And I said, well, yeah, I, I want to make sure you guys are thinking things through. It doesn't matter if I agree with you or not. Um, so it, it's just part of my nature. Um, so uh, my thing about it was, is like when Mikey put up, you know, hey, if there's an injury, are we going to get a file? And, uh, you know, it sounded like, like we might not get a file, right? Right. And, I, and, and to me, and this is why I, you know, again, I, I was like, so we're penalizing the people who are around, right? Correct. And what I mean by that is, is let's say, let's just take Christian or, or whomever is like, hey, let's just roll two straight real-time sims. Regardless, those guys, whether they're at work, you know, at school, sleeping, whatever, they're going to run their, their team anyway, right? I don't understand why we can't get a file. I'm with like, you. I, I like the I like the current format the way it is. I, but but I'm around. I'm like like you were saying. Right. Like I mean, let, let's keep it real. I mean, the playoffs literally came to a screeching halt because this last off season because Gary could not get a hold of one GM. So it's not like anybody ever has to worry about you know like hey uh, you know well what if what if I can't make an alteration that I want to make or whatever. I kind of, I kind of like at this point, I'm kind of like, you know what, the way that it's working right now, it kind of works. And I just, I don't see the, the additional tinkering and the way that I looked at it, like you said, is basically we're going to take the team, same series and we're going to drag it out an additional day. And, and I will say, I mean, and I guess the other thing to me was, is the reason why this rule was brought up is not what we actually addressed. Right. The re the reason we this rule was brought up in Christian's eyes was Christian. You know, forget about West Coast. Right. He's like right. <laughs> he's in Europe. He's actually way ahead of us. Right. And to his point, he's actually you know dealing with you know at that point he's 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 worrying more about like I got to get my daughter lunch or you know home from school or dinner and things like that. So he's like in and out of like like actual family things throughout mm -hmm. that time. 
And he actually pitched the idea of like, he just wanted to sim the games and then watch them, which is what I do normally. Like every time we sim, I try not to look at anything unless we're doing the real time sims. And then I'll, whatever games we don't sim, I download the file well, and I watch the replays. Like they're so enjoyable. And <laughs> I think that's what he wanted to do. See, I watch the replays, and Jeff, I want to get your take on this, but I watch the replays, mm-hmm. but I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I was absolutely glued to the RTS. Like, I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's ridiculous because well, in the if, playoffs for if sure. You did, yeah, if you didn't know, like, you you think I was looking at like my my stock portfolio, but I'm literally just glued to the phone, inning by inning, going. Okay, it's now a two-two. Okay, threw a ball. You threw a ball. <laughs> you know, it's 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 ridiculous. But I still go back and watch the game because yes, the RTS will tell you what the score was and how they got there. But I like to see what that journey is, right? Like, oh man, they actually came back, or oh, you know what, the rookie I called up actually got you know two hits in the game, or oh, look at that sliding catch or whatever. Yeah. So I do go back and watch it. But man, I can't even imagine at this point. Uh, watching a sim that didn't have an RTS. Like, I don't even think I could play in a league like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I just, you know, my, my take, and again, my take was just simply, you know, for the people who are, are there and available. Yeah. Um, why? I, because even if, even if the thing was, is like, hey, we're going to do a real-time sim at 11, you know, if we're sitting there, or I'm sorry, like, let's say it's 1130, And then the next one's going to be 1145. Like if we're sitting there, I mean, that's an extra like 10 minutes to just get a file. Let me swap out a guy and roll it again. Right. Absolutely. So the fact that like, that's an issue now is weird to me (laughs) Um, because it's not like we're saying, Hey, wait the hour and a half. Right. Right. So. Well, and that is, that is kind of, it's funny you brought that up and Jeff, I'm going to get to you right now. That is funny. You brought it up because, like you said, because the, the the way the time frames are actually set up, you know, with an hour and a half between the games, most of the GMs that are here, if you have an injury or whatever, it never takes them that long anyways. Like, can you remember the last time in the playoffs, just for example, that we actually waited till the time it was to actually send the game to start it? Like, we're almost always ahead of time. Jeff, right. I want to go over to you. What's your, what's your thoughts on on this and, and just, you know, what the, where the discussion is, is going as far as the games games being played in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I'm for whatever makes it easier on Gary. He's the one that has to deal with it all, and, and uh, it all revolves around his schedule. So I, I proxied with Gary. Whatever, whatever's easiest for him is, is, is how I want to do it. All right, guys. So, Shane, we, we, have, we have been uh, chatting for about a half an hour, and I definitely have – I know you got a lot of topics you want to get into. So let's get into some of your hot-button topics. I really quickly just want to say once again, quick shout-out to uh, Jeff from Dublin – Shane from uh, the Milwaukee Milkman, and then also Bill from Long Island Lightning joining me today. We're doing a little GM roundtable, hopefully education, kind of get you guys to uh, just kind of hear what we have to say. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy this. Shane, go ahead and hit the next yeah. topic. Yeah. Um, so the next one is Hall of Fame. So interesting enough, enough we finally had um, a Hall of Fame, which is exciting. Um, now, granted, this one was probably um, – being the first Hall of Fame, there wasn't a ton of options to choose from, nor have we seen some of the the studs come through yet or retire. I, um, but really, um, for the Hall of Fame, we had uh, Brian Grant, um, Wally Higgs, and then I might butcher this name, but um, Jung Yun Shin, um, 
so those were kind of the three top vote, voting percentage. Brian Grant had the most votes at 27.8%, Wally Higgs at 22, and then um, Shin at 11.1. Um, and really, these players, um, in Brian Grant's case, he played through his um, year 30 to um, 30, 35 season. He had an 18.4 career war, uh, starting pitcher for Dublin. And then Wally Higgs, right fielder for Lightning, um, he played through his age 37 through age 42 season, and he accumulated a 22.4 career war. And then Shin was a center fielder for Disney, and he played through his age 29 through 34 and had a career war of 21. So I know we kind of briefly in general chat um, kind of discussed on uh, Hall of Fames and who should be in the Hall of Fames. I know there was um, – I know for me personally, I, I just voted an empty ballot. Um, I could – I guess I could kind of see the argument for some of these guys, but kind of like I mentioned – Many of them only played for about five years. Um, granted, it isn't necessarily their fault per se, but um, I guess in, in my opinion, when I think of the Hall of Fame, it's it's got to be those those guys like Suzuki's and some of the some of the really like the studs in our league, right? So um, just with that, I guess um, I'll kind of kick it over to you, Brian Hughes. Um, what uh, did you do? You have any thoughts on the Hall of Fame? Just anything in general? Yeah, so I actually did the exact same thing you did. I uh, I put an empty ballot in, um, and I do think, you know, he, here's the thing. The more data that we get, the more data we collect, the further into this league we get, um, the, the, the more accurate the depiction is going to be as to what a Hall of Famer is, right? Because I, I will tell you, and I think Bill can agree with this because I know he's been here since the beginning – I don't think you can compare the stereotypical average Hall of Famer to Suzuki. You would, you would be doing them a disservice, right? Like Hall of Fame is the very best, but I think Suzuki is like, like next level. Like, yeah, like we, we probably never voted for Suzuki in anything. (laughs) And, And you know what? I understand that, but like, let's, let's keep it real. Like Suzuki is probably going to be when he hits the Hall of Fame, he is probably going to be, number one in almost every category and it's probably not going to change right he a hundred percent he he already i mean he is no but i'm saying like even in the future like like if you look at the eye stats he has it's kind of ridiculous actually i so i kind of i thought the same thing um suzuki has like 560 career home runs and he's what age 37 38 somewhere around there right? and he's gonna play for another three years i mean let's keep right <laughs> i but i think what's going to happen is there's going to be these 20 year olds these 21 year olds that are finally hitting the game file who probably aren't the same level or rating wise but i just think a, in terms of like duration of career a 20-year career could potentially uh make it closer than it currently is because right now he's uh almost double uh, the second place home run leader. Correct. That much. And and just to put things in perspective here, if you played a 20 year career, which I know this is basic math, but just for some of the listeners, if you played 20 years and you hit 30 home runs a year, which in this league would probably put you top 10, you hit 30 home runs a year for 20 years. You're talking about 600 home runs. He's going to be over that. That's why I'm saying like, it's not just enough to be, 
to be a good player. It's the fact of the durability, the long-term success, the success year in and year out, the, the amount of batting, batting titles he had, the, the, the war. I mean, he's had more war. If you look at his two best years, he had more war in his two best years than the fourth and fifth place war guys in the entire league have. So it's broken park. Right. And, and you know what? I, I, I totally get it, Bill, and I'm coming to you in a second, but it's like, I just think that, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration, but, and I know this is cliche, but one of the things that me and my buddies always talk about when it comes to the hall of fame, right? Any sport is, you know, they, they kind of always say like, Hey, can you discuss the history of that league without mentioning that player? And, and for me, you obviously can't do that without Suzuki. Even somebody like Bill's guy that is now playing on my team, Freeman, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think that there's a lot of guys that are coming up through the ranks that'll be Hall of Famers. I think it really boils down to criteria, right? Because it's not all just about how many home runs you hit or what your average is. It's like, what did you mean to this league? That's my, my take anyways. What's your thoughts, Bill? Um. I mean, obviously, Suzuki, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, we've always talked about it, you know, especially early on um, personally. And, you know, I've said this in chat for those who may have missed it the first couple of years. You know, I don't I don't even look at the ARL as a real record book. Um, I only look at the FRL um, just because of that. Nice. The, the, well, the the ARL had like three or four parks that were thirty percent higher than Coors Field, um, so you couple poor pitching with that kind of numbers. And Montoya um, hits eighty home runs. Yeah, so it's and, and, and to be honest, that year that Montoya hit eighty home runs, if you go look, Suzuki would have hit more, except Suzuki got hurt like the last three weeks of the year or something. <laughs> Um, but for, for Higgs, I think the, you know, my part with Higgs, I always thought if you would have put Higgs, cause he's also a lefty, if you would have tossed him over in Montana's park, he would have put up the same numbers. So, and that's, what's kind of hard for me with Higgs. I mean, uh, uh, other than that last year when he was 42, right. I mean, dude was averaging 44 homers a year, you know, probably like a hundred and. 25 RBIs a year in a park that was not made for home runs. So you, Bill, do you take into consideration, like, see, cause you know, some of these older guys, I'm trying to, you know, acquaint myself with them and also put them, categorize them with the newer players. But do you look at, you know, for example, like what Suzuki has done, you know, we mentioned, Hey, you played in Montana, but now that he's had success in a place like Vegas, which is a much more traditional park, or like you said, Higgs, you know, we're considering where he played. Are are you going to consider that kind of stuff when you're when you're voting for the Hall of Fame? Um, I mean, I'll still probably vote Suzuki in because you know it's like I said, he, he's going to hit, he's going to play for like ten years and have seven hundred home runs. So, and I mean, Las Vegas is still a pretty aggressive <laughs> ballpark. I mean, it not nearly like, I mean, it, it's a normal offensive park, but um, 
I am glad that that and and the thing is, I mean, you look at Suzuki's ratings, right? I mean, guy was always going to hit probably three fifty, hit fifty homers, like right. And I feel bad because I literally didn't vote for him for like MVPs and things, only because it was so drastically higher. Um, and there were some other guys like to me, if you have the top four guys in war, to to me, an MVP is somebody who if I got rid of you, would your team lose more? And the answer to that question was no. Um, because at the time, like, you know, he had George Long and, and he had some other lefties. I mean, his splits were crazy. Like there was some guy, I can't remember who it was, but guy hit like 310 in Montana, but hit like 190 on the road, had like an OPS wow. of like 500 on the road, but like a 1.3 at home so it was it was hard for me to vote for him um but the guy's amazing like so don't get me wrong i'm not gonna not vote for him but if we're here just talking about i mean wally higgs man guy was a guy was a baller guy's 41 playing 161 games let me see how many people do that hey you know what they always say the best ability is availability hey by the way i just talked to uh suzuki he said he doesn't hold it against you. You didn't vote for him because he won. He won six MVPs in seven years. He's but over he did it. not. But he did not win any unanimous ones. <laughs> that is that is true, <laughs> Jeff. Jeff, I want to come yeah. to you. It's a perfect segue to you uh, as the newest member to the league, and that it sounds crazy saying that because you're you've <laughs> now been in the league two years. So kudos to the league. But what was your thoughts on looking at these guys' past accomplishments, and and did you vote any of right. them in? No, I, I submitted an empty ballot as well. Um, my, my thought was they, they need to have played in the league at least eight or nine years. And, um, you know, we can kind of go in theoretically and see that, um, say, Grant, who's a former Dublin player, he played 13 – he had 13 years of major service. And so theoretically we can kind of backtrack and imagine what his numbers are. But, um, you know, I, I, want, I want the real numbers. I, I want it to actually have been in our league um, to, to, for me to vote for him rather than kind of, you know, being theoretical and, and imagining what his numbers might have been. Yeah, and I, you know what, I think that that's, I think that's a good point. I think we're all kind of on the same page as far as the, uh, the empty ballot. Shane, uh, what's, what's the next topic you got for us? So I have a prediction discussion, but I think I might pivot a little bit since we're about 40 in and I want to sure. kind of make sure we, we cover some things that probably haven't been discussed on this pod. So the next one I originally anticipated just being uh, Brian and I, so I'm not sure if Bill or Jeff were there. Were, were oh, these guys there. are always ready to shoot from the okay. hip. Don't worry so about maybe, it. <laughs> so maybe uh, I'll, I'll kick it off, and then it'll kind of give you a uh, – just kind of get you thinking. Um, so next topic is best slash worst trade um, for each team. Um, Brian Hughes, why don't you, uh, you start, and then I can go after you. Oh, it's – you know what? it's 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 so hard to do these because you know we're so early on right i've made so many i'm, I'm gonna say right now and, and maybe 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 because i'm being swayed because bill's here but i gotta tell you you know what i made a trade for um freeman johnny freeman who like i said i think is a hall of famer and led the league last year in on base percentage batted 333 put up six war for me um, you know, and, and, you know, essentially what I gave up was a first baseman that wasn't playing on my team. So I didn't give up a ton of value. Granted, Bill was able to flip 
Bill Walker, this is part of that three-team trade, for the piece he actually want, wanted, and it worked for him because rather than getting the comp pick and, and you know, hoping to get a guy, he got the guy he wanted. But, I mean, to, to get a guy like Johnny Freeman for the next four years at less than $10 bucks a year, like, I just feel like his, his ratings are so high. He's going to hold up. He's going to be a, a 450 on base guy, and, and he's just he's going to be a force for me. So that's probably been one of my favorite trades to this point. And I wish Mike was here because he, he would laugh his ass off right now. But, like, legitimately any trade that I make with Mike, like, he'll be like, oh, man, you got to check out this relief pitcher. He's amazing. And every single time I trade him and the guy's ratings will, like, drop like a star and a half within, like, you know, two sims or something like that. And it's so it's kind of a running joke at this point. And I'm sure Bill probably feels the same way with the Brody Stanley deal. But it's like – Anybody I trade to Mike, it always seems like that guy gets better. And anybody that I take back from Mike just seems to get worse. So I'll, I'll leave it there. What about you, Shane? Yeah, so I I think it's probably my, my weakness in the game. I have done, I think, probably uh, more trades that have not benefited in my favor than, than good ones. So for worst, I have the the Asrat Yuki for Evan Driggs. So at the time I was mm. building a championship team. So I think it made sense. Yuki was 18 years old and I really needed a right fielder that could, um, that could actually hit at that time. That was when I was making the playoffs. Um, and since then Driggs had a 2.5 war in that season. I traded for him for him. And then the last two seasons, 26 and 27, he, was replacement level. He was zero war, hardly could hit. He actually got sent down to AAA last year. So that's that surprises the worst. Me how, that surprises me how, how bad he has been. It, I was looking it, at his stats the other day. It's just, yeah. His ratings are there. He just hasn't really figured out. Then another worst trade, um, like I said, I've, I've made more worse than good. Um, Eddie Murray and Matt Legrau, um for Honolulu. Um, and I got a AAA um, first baseman, Scott Ray, who's a – uh, starting pitcher slash relief pitcher who's fragile, who tore his head Tommy John last year, and then a relief pitcher in AAA. So um, Eddie Murray has been insane. Um, and LeGrow is, man, LeGrow is a lefty pitcher. He's 30 years old, and he is probably, you know, when you have a pitcher that isn't an, a number one or number two guy, but he's just a guy you can count on at your third or fourth mm -hmm. or even fifth pitching spot who will just have a solid six innings pitched maybe gave up a run or two. Um, it, that was a Malagrow. He's a two and a half star pitcher, but his stats are there. They're, they're above that. So that was my worst. Um, my best trade is not really one that where I benefited more than the other party. And I, I think it's the, the Chris Hill trade where, um, you know, I, I get, got rid of You're one welcome. of the better, got, I got rid of one of the better pitchers in the league. Um, but I was able to kind of supplement that with getting Gareth Wolsey, who, really kind of helps me in the power department. He's a, not the best in defense. Um, we got Hector Soto, who I liked um, on the Disney squad. Um, and then he went back to, to Seattle. Um, he's actually starting in my rotation this year now as kind of the two or three spot. And then Beltron, who I kind of just figured I would slot he's in as the number one spot. So that's yeah. probably the best trade for me. Um, so, yeah. All right, Bill, I'm going to – let's come over to you. Jeff, we're going to give you an extra half second to think about this because yep. I'm sure I'm, I feel like G-Dub might make his list as well. 
So what, what's your thoughts, Bill, as far as your, and it could be for whatever the reasons are, your, your, your best and worst trade that you've made uh, since you've been in the league? Uh, well, the worst trade. And is it, is it involved, Mike? Uh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, it, it, you know, this is one of those ones where uh, it just, it turned out to be the worst trade, right? Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, I, I got who I wanted. Um, I, at the time I, I traded away two guys I really liked and somebody I don't even remember. Um, I got Brody Stanley. I was looking for a sheer gloved center fielder. I wanted to lock down that, you know, obviously you guys have seen how I've built my team recently. I, I like being good up the middle. Um, and he was supposed to be that piece and man, he just shit the bed. And not only, not only did he shit the bed, but like, before Mikey traded him to me because I didn't have any money. I had Mikey sign him to this asininely long deal that I I asked, (laughs) that I asked him to do, right? Like, it's not like he did it and was like, Hey, I'll trade you this eight year contract. Like I asked him for it. And because I really thought Brody Stanley was going to be like the face of the frame, like, like he was going to be like him and Freeman, right? Like they were going to be my boys. Hey, just a quick, just a quick interjection, just because I looked it up. You traded him for Joel Kennard, who's now his high high leverage guy in Disney. Uh, Dave Ritchie, who's now in Vancouver, and then uh, Fu Po Yao, who's a relief pitcher. In yeah, I don't even know Montreal. who that guy is. Continue. Yeah, and and even he, like even Fu Pu Yao, is like Good. his ratings look amazing. Yeah, right. Like I mean, this guy. Like, I traded three amazing-looking players for this guy. Like, that's how hyped I was. And, like, Dave Ritchie I liked. He, he fits my like, – his fielding is, like, eh. But, like, he was a hitter that I liked. Um, I just – that that's probably – that's going to – I'm going to hope that that is my all-time worst trade ever. Um If I make one worse than that – We're in I'm trouble. Be, yeah, because, I mean <laughs> – Here's the thing. I, this is something that you guys probably don't know, um, but like, I, I've got like forty plus million dollars in dead money. Mm. Uh, last year, I had forty-four million of money that I've cut off my roster. Guys, guys that aren't even on the roster. Y- yeah, you're, you're paying out as much as some, te- almost as much as yeah. some teams actually have on the roster. Yeah, and this year I've got thirty-seven million. Next year, I've got 28 million, and that stays for a little while because Brody, good old Brody, good old Brody. Um, so that and and you know, you mentioned the Freeman deal, a lot of that deal was trying to cut, yeah, uh, some salary. I, I, I'm, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably still like four years out b- before I get my budget back, <laughs> back in shape. My, which my, is, my payroll this year is 43 million. That's yeah. what I said. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I have 40, last year I had $44.5 million for people that no longer played for me. Uh, Good Lord. And like, I mean, I don't know who else would have done that too. I mean, this guy had $128 million left on his contract and I was like, cut. Yeah. I'm done with him. <laughs> uh, best remember, trade. 
Hey, real quickly, I got to just say, I remember at one point you were like, hey, listen, uh, if you take Stanley, I'll, I'll give you a prospect. And I was like, no. I was trying to give him away <laughs> at like 80%. Like, like, yeah, like, please, I'll pay for him. Just take him. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, that contract was so long. I know. <laughs> and all, And the worst part is, is I didn't even need him to hit. I just needed him to field. But he, and it wasn't, and people have mentioned it. It wasn't that he was a bad fielder. He just wasn't the guy I wanted. Yeah, he didn't turn out you to know? be the guy you thought he was going to be. Um, but I, I guess in terms of best trade, uh, let me see who I got for this. Because oddly enough, like, even though I'm not, like, I'm not a huge Hajun Park fan, like, he, he's, he keeps it real, though. That, I'll be honest, that might be my best trade, which was also with Mikey. Because he got Rich Crossan, who at the time was uh, a two-way oh, catcher slash reliever starter. Yeah, he traded me Rich Crossan, by the way. Uh, he's, he talked me into him being an amazing <laughs> backup catcher, and man, he just shit the bed for me. But uh, hey, I, I know it doesn't qualify as a technical trade, but where um, basically Jeff got uh, browbeat into to releasing Kogu, you gotta, you, I just got to bring it up at this point. You got to oh. be pretty happy with, with the signing of Kogo. Well, now, yeah. Now, I will say, um, you know, that whole thing with, uh, with Koga there, with Koga time, is, you know, when he was going to – because at the time, a lot of us were like, we don't really actually know how that's going to work, right? right? And he actually didn't release him. He did mm. put him on waivers. I had to claim him off waivers. So I had to claim him, and I actually had to claim him for that whole contract. What contract, right? Got it. But then I had to release him. And the thing was, is I released him during the playoffs when nobody was paying attention, <laughs> and then resigned him. It's it's funny that, that like in real life, like can you imagine a situation in which a team released a player? They're like, <laughs> hey, listen, we just really we're we're going in a different direction. You know what? Never mind. We want you back. Right. Like, and that was the thing too, is cause I had to release him and, and obviously in the same file, I can't release him and then offer him a contract. Cause he's like, no dude. Yeah. Like you just released me. So I had to wait until like the next file and check to see if he'd be like, yeah, I'm totally cool with a contract. <laughs> so then I had to re-sign him. So there was actually time where other people like could have hopped on the Koga wagon. So <laughs> So I will say that was more like, and it was funny too, because when I did release him, I just shut the hell up. Hey, man, I didn't almost, talk about him. Almost six, <laughs> almost six war, dude. I mean, he was, believe me, I can tell you right now, just because I've had plenty of conversation with Jeff, believe me, he would have, he's absolutely salivating for a guy that can hit 38 home runs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I had him on the block too this year, but all right, I, well, I, took, I took him off the block. I was gonna say if if he's still on the block, I feel like after the pod you might you might get a you might get a little interest. You know how the yeah, I, pod seems to do that. I think I rolled him back up. I, I I think I'm gonna keep him. I guess because again, like I've been trying to cut some payroll, but his his contract actually goes down. Like right, I saw that. Yeah, like actually, I think it is down now. It's it's down to nine. It was fifteen. So. All right, Jeff. I want to go over to you. Same question that Shane asked. What is yeah. your, uh, it could be your favorite or the best trade that you've made to date. And then the, the trade that you regret or, or you feel like maybe you got the short end of the stick. 
Uh, you kind of referenced it, the uh, Gareth Wolseley trade. I, I liked it at the time, and then uh, uh, Wolseley kind of turned into to Mickey Mantle there for a little bit. And uh, he's kind of come back down to earth. But, um, yeah, the, the two prospects I got, Carlos Lopez, he uh, he had he uh, he was highly rated. He's, his ratings have kind of sunk, sunk into a pit since then. The other guy, Valnov, he's kind of turned into a pretty good uh, center field prospect. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about him. But, yeah, I certainly didn't expect a Wolsey to, uh, to, to turn, turn around like that. Um, uh, probably my favorite trade, um, uh, the one that Shane was referencing when we, we flipped uh, Driggs for, for Yuki. And then um, kind of a two-parter, then I flipped uh, Yuki for five of uh, Vancouver's prospects. And um, that's kind of a big reason why I've got a really good farm system and I'm excited about my futures. Um, I got, ended up getting uh, two five-star uh, starting pitching prospects that'll uh, be on the big league team in the next uh, season or two. And then uh, three good position players that all, that all should be starters when all, all is said and done. So right. that's a trade I'm really excited about. You know, it hadn't, hadn't, hadn't worked yet because none of the players have reached the majors yet, but I'm super excited about that. So that's, that's probably my favorite trade I've done. Yeah, and you know what? Just from a distance watching, I will tell you, considering, you know, Sakata was a damn good pitcher, but considering where you were at, trading him to Paris in order to get Yang and, and, and a guy I really like, Herman Young, um, that, that was I, actually my prede predecessor that did that. Oh, okay, yeah, I yep. I really like Herman Young. I think he's got. Oh, yeah. I think he's got a, a a real shot to be special in the league. So mm -hmm. you know, he hit 25 home runs last year um, and 540 at bats. You know, so he's he's a kid, young kid. He's only 24 years old, but your your team is slowly slowly coming together, man. So mm -hmm. it's it's, yeah, it's real I'm nice excited. to see that. Shane, what's the uh, what's the next thing we got? Yeah, so I guess. Um, beyond just kind of our trades, I don't know if it was discussed a ton. At least I don't recall it being discussed in Slack at all. But there was a really big trade that went um, that went that was between Honolulu and Palmetto um, oh, the during the Borland, off season. Borland yeah, was, uh, trade. Yeah. Yeah. So so Palmetto ended up getting Colby uh, Campo, Campo. Um, the DH, and then Honolulu got Jerry Banalo, first baseman. He got the the stud shortstop, um, the first overall pick, I believe, Kurt Borland, and then relief pitcher Jose Lorca. So um, I I don't know if it was discussed a lot, but I I came across this trade, and I'm I'm a huge fan of kind of what Honolulu got in this package. Um, I know Colby can you know hit 54 home runs last year, um, but Kurt Borland will. Um, I, he plays shortstop well, right? I think if anything we've noticed in this file, shortstops um, really, they don't, not many of them can hit really well. A lot of them play really good defense. So the fact that there was a shortstop that could hit and was actually could play shortstop, um, it just, he just, you know, just was a different type of player that we haven't probably seen in this, in this league yet. So, um, and then he got Jerry Benelo who can also hit. You know, he had 35 yeah. home runs last year, so. Uh, I'll, I'll give it – let me swing it back to, to Jeff. He, he waited the longest to talk. So, Jeff, what was your thoughts on this trade in, in particular? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously Shane mentioned he really likes this from Honolulu's <laughs> perspective. The, you know, both these teams were playoff teams last year. What, what, what was your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, I'm a, I'm always been a big Borland fan. I was uh, – Picking third um, in that draft when, when he was drafted and 
And, uh, you know, for a while he looked like a good, solid, you know, uh, player that might fall to me at third. And so I was, I was talking with Rob um, from Montreal. He had the second pick. Now I, I was, t- I actually told him, if you don't, if you don't draft Borland, here's a list of players. You can have any, any player on this list if you just don't draft Borland. And he was agreeable to it. And then um, I was trying to, trying to get Jacob to say the same thing. And uh, he was, he was uh, at first amenable to it. And then Borland's ratings just kept shooting up and shooting up and shooting up. And that, I, I knew I wasn't going to have any chance to draft Borland. And uh, before Jacob made this trade, he, you know, we, we chatted quite a bit. And, and he asked my opinion. And I said, well, you know, it's a good win now trade. Um, as far as long term, I'm, I'm more conservative when it comes to my trades. I like to think more long term. Um, so I, I wouldn't do the deal, but um, I could see why you would. Um, uh, Campo is just uh, an amazing hitter. He, he went on an incredible tear through the playoffs and kind of kind of carried them uh, a long way through the playoffs. Honolulu. So I could I could see why he uh, really is, is excited to add um, Campo to his lineup. He already, already has a bunch of studs and uh, adding Campo who can hit a home run at any time is, is uh, really going to make his di- uh, lineup dynamic. Bill, what's what's your thoughts on uh, on the trade uh, before I give my uh, my opinion? Um, I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't really think anything too too much on it. I do know that I uh, I liked Borland. Um, I also noticed that he just got hurt for like six weeks. Yeah. Um, four weeks. Uh, he looks good for my scout. OSA's got him quite less than my scout um but i i like the guy i'm not gonna lie he couldn't play shortstop for my team but he'd probably have to play second or something uh i need my uh my buck 80 hitting shortstop <laughs> he's too good of a hitter <laughs> yeah are you gonna say i think he can yeah. play shortstop. yeah you know what sorry i can't have anybody on my team that has a 400 on base percentage that just doesn't work right hey i, I said he could play second <laughs> you know what listen i, I don't want to be the negative guy in the group and jeff i know you talk to you know jacob all the time but like i i, I gotta call a spade a spade right like I have a lot of problems. <laughs> like we all know how Mike feels about Jacob. We know that drama and I don't want to bring that in here, but like I, I have a, I have an obligation, if you will, as the press guy for the league to look at everything, you know, through a different lens. And I will tell you this trade never happens if Jacob doesn't back out of the deal with Bob from Oakland, the original deal that he made with Zaheer Bradshaw and I kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. We all know Bob doesn't do a lot of trading. I'm one of the kind of guys, I don't care how much the ratings go up or, you know, if I make a deal with, with Bill and all of a sudden the guy that I agreed to trade with him, you know, the next sim gets hurt and he's out eight months or whatever. It's like, if I make an agreement with you and I say, Hey deal, this is, this is the, the parameters of the trade. Like it's a done deal. Like I, I just the person that I am, I, I don't back out of trade. So this has kind of left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because I do know Bob a little bit and I know he's a really good guy. I know he's got some health concerns, but um, Bob doesn't do a lot of trades. So when the trade went down, I was happy for him. I thought Jacob was getting, you know, quite a bit back, but then this, this deal obviously fell in. And, and to be honest with you guys, hundred percent, no bias. I think Jacob crushed this deal. I think Campo is a top 10 hitter in this league. And I don't think it's like, 
close. I mean, I, I challenge anybody to find 10 better hitters in this league. He's going to be a six plus war guy, like year in and year out. I think Bandolo is more like a three and a half war guy year in and year out. And I know Borland's good. Don't get me wrong. This is something that me and Mike talk about all the time, but ultimately we all know how the game values home runs and RBIs over defense. I don't see Borland being a five war guy, which is really, you know, what you're hoping that he becomes. I think he's probably more like a three, three and a half war guy. So, you know, when it's all said and done, I think Palmetto is in a, in a more of a win now mode. And I think Campo honestly makes them significantly better. If I'm Disney, if I'm Honolulu, if I'm New York, if I'm Las Vegas, I, I hate this deal because I think the biggest contender to Vegas's crown just got a lot better. I think they're a lot better with Campo there, not just because of the additional power. I just think he's a much better hitter all around. I just hate the fact that, you know, the way the trade came together, the fact that there's been other trades that haven't happened that allowed this to happen, you know, and I understand we've had that happen a few times in the league. You know, I'm not going to give out details because I do know some of it, but you know, like the deal between, you know, Vegas and Cologne, you know, I hate when I see agreed upon deal and then all of a sudden somebody pulls out. It's like, well, if you've already agreed to the deal, like it's a done deal. Like we're all, we're all adults here. <laughs> you know, that's the way I feel anyways. So, you know, that's the only sour, sour spot for me in the deal, but I, I agree with you guys, but I actually think Palmetto crushed this deal. I, I, I think Campo's the better player. I think that they're in kind of a window now. It just opened. And I think Campo's going to be the better first baseman for the next four or five years. Like, I don't think it's that close. So I think Jacob crushed this deal. I think he got the better overall player and and that's really all he needs he has a lot of pieces go out and get that superstar player and i, I think campo's one of the three or four best first basemen in the entire league oh, yeah, well, i think he's got campo at uh just playing dh, DH. yeah, yeah he, he doesn't even have first base ratings so i mean he doesn't have any ratings <laughs> yeah, so, but I'm just... other than hitting <clears throat> Right, but I'm saying in a, in a league where I just said first base because I know that that's what the yeah. the league has designated him at. But what I'm saying is, is in a league where we know what the DH can provide. Yeah, especially in that ARL side. Like there's, <laughs> I, and it's. I'll be honest, it's a lot less. I mean, I had done a lot of the the ballpark stuff, and I had actually, I actually have a sheet that gives you a ballpark score and such, and and things have 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 gotten a little bit better. But there is still a lot more home run parks on the ARL side there's it's not that there's not offensive ones in FRL like Toronto they've got a big uh, doubles triples um it's just a a lot of that mashing happens over in the ARL side speaking of home runs we uh last year was the second lowest home runs league-wide so um that appears to be trending down um so yeah and and again some of the parks well it's pitching but it's also the so here, here's an oddity as well. All of those drastic home runs happened before we switched to 21. Okay. So I think some of it had to do with probably some of the game engine. Um, and again, I, you know, Montana's still going to have a lot of home runs. Just And again, one of the things I, I mentioned about, you know, just bringing up the parks, it's not even the home run rating. It's uh, the fact that the other extra base ratings are so much lower, right? Because if you just talk about statistics, I mean, if a park has X number of hits and you spread them out, you know, if you up all of the extra base hits, you're scattering 
you're basically giving away singles to all of the extra base hits. In Montana, you're giving away doubles and triples to home runs as well. So that's why there's so many more home runs there right. than anywhere it's else. Like, it's like something that would be like a routine fly ball is something that sneaks over yeah. the fence. That's why I always, you know, I, I, you know, I post that picture of the wiffle ball stadium <laughs> all the time. I'm like, hey, look, it's Montana. Like, and, and it really just had to do with statistics, right? And it, after I got over the fact that we're not going to erase records, I, I just have to deal with it. Like, cause again, it's not about competitive advantages or anything. It's just, I'm a statistics guy. I like the career mode. I like, you know, like you guys are talking about hall of fame guys and, and, you know, you want them to play X number of years. Like that's that I like the history and the chases and, and things like that. So like when it was like season one or two and I'm like, shit, we just hit 85 home runs. I was <laughs> like, I don't even know where to go from there. Well, you know, so, Jeff, uh, so what, go ahead, Bill. I, I didn't mean. To oh no, up. no, I, I didn't have anything else. Um, I was just looking at that Campo guy too. He's he's pretty solid. Jeff, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on uh, on Shane's question. What you know, obviously there's been a reduction. My, you know, what Bill's saying is probably absolutely true there because we did you know switch over to 21, but I do think that a lot of these younger guys are now starting to come into the league. And I think we're really starting to see a lot of the younger pitchers really dominate, you know, really play well. What, what, what was your thoughts on last year and, and specifically the fact that kind of the home run totals around the league were, were, were down quite a bit? Right. I think it has a lot to do with uh, what Gary has talked about, where um, a lot of the pitchers that were coming into the league originally were kind of um, in the opener and follower mode. And um, now we're getting more pitchers that are, the traditional go seven innings, um, you know, be dominant for seven innings. And uh, so I, I think, I think um, it's a pitching thing in my opinion. Um, so I see so many good pitching prospects come up and it feels kind of cyclical. When I first came into the league um, a few seasons ago, um, it felt like a two-star guy could come up and, and actually, you know, do well offensively. But if you were two, two or three, two, two and a half star pitcher, you're going to have a lot more trouble where, I think the pendulum's kind of swinging a little bit. You know, it is interesting because it does feel like, you know, even though five-star, a two-and-a-half-star guy is average, right? Your average mm -hmm. big leaguer, you would assume, like, hey, you'd have success. But it is funny because you look at most most teams starting rotations, you know, at least let's just say the top half of the league, the the, the teams that are making the playoffs, I, I think you'd have, you'd be hard pressed to find one guy that's a two and a half star pitcher. Right. Like I mean, there is a lot of really good pitchers, and then of course my guy who who bucks the trend. And I only mention this guy because I I still I still love um, the fact yeah I still love the fact that you're like hey I gotta leave this guy off the list because he's uh he's kind of skewing my stats and Ben Jones. That's right. <laughs> because because all of his ratings and everything are just horrible, but he just he just manages to win games. So it it. That's right. <laughs> You know, it, 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 is, it is one of those oddities, but, you know, it, it's kind of nice to have those oddities because kind of gives you hope, you know, you have that guy in your minor league system that's maybe a two-and-a-half-star guy, and you're like, oh, I don't think he's going to make it or whatever. Well, he could be the next Ben Jones. You never know. Right, right. You know what I mean? Shane, what's your thoughts on this yeah. before we uh, move on? Um, on just the home runs in general? Yeah. Um, I guess I don't really have any 
thoughts per se on it. Um, like I mentioned, I, I'm keeping track kind of um, some trends, just home runs to kind of like batting average, things like that. So some of the home runs, like the initial, um, and I don't know when we switched over versions, but the 2021 to 2023, 24 seasons are like really peak home runs for the league. And then, like I mentioned, in 2026, I think was the lowest. I don't know what it was last year, but it seems to be kind of trending down. And I'm assuming that's kind of what Bill was saying, just park adjustments. Um, so right. um, it, it's nice to kind of see those home runs get down to at least somewhat of a normalized level. Because um, I think if I was in the league during those 80 home run seasons, I probably would have been just like Bill would have been like, we got to fix this. So right. um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I I will say like if you look at like my team, like if you go to like the team history or whatever, I had my uh, what I like to personally call like my baby year. Um, it's the year that I basically threw an internal hissy fit and changed my park to be some. Basically, I maxed out all the stuff <laughs> to what we had set, right? And like hitter wise. I mean, it was like a, a 19 war swing. And that, wow. that's what I mean is in terms of like for the, for my whole team is in general. Now, 2022 was actually, uh, I actually had a good year. Um, but like in 2023, my, my batter war was 31.7. And in 2024, it went down to 12.6 after I fixed my park back to what it was. <laughs> so that went down 19 points. Um and, and and so that's kind of where my issue earlier about like it's hard to vote and look at like Suzuki's war and things and be like oh like I, I was basically showing that if you jack up your park ratings your batter war is going to go up right like right it's just the way it is um like I've I had guys you know base I had guys that suck just have career years. Is it fair to say, though, Bill, and I don't want to get too far off track because I know we're getting up against the time, and Jeff, I appreciate you hanging out with us as long as you have. Is yeah, it fair? I, I'm, I'm going to hop off right now, guys. Okay, thank you so much. Is it fair to say, yeah. though, that, like, when you look at the, like, the upper echelon guys, you know, I'll just, I'm just going to use, you know, I'm going to use Johnny Freeman because I know it's a guy you're super familiar with, that, like, he's probably going to succeed no matter where he goes. Right. Like whether you're in a you put him in a shoebox type ballpark or you put him in, you know, the Astrodome, like it's really not going to matter. Like the guy is going to have success because that's that's kind of my my thought process. Like when I look at guys like Suzuki and I look at those ratings other than the speed, like it's like I just don't envision a, a situation in which that guy is not successful. That guy does not hit at least 35 home runs driving in a hundred RBIs and has at least, you know, a five or regardless of what the park is, what's your thoughts? Oh, no, I, I agree. I mean, there are certain players like even Freeman and that was, the, he, he was actually one of the guys that I kind of wanted to see what he would do in a park like that. Um, unfortunately he got uh, hurt that year. He only played 114 games, uh, but he did bang out 34 homers. Uh, oh, had a five, he had a 5.6 uh, war with only playing hundred and starting 114 games um you know they're like yeah i mean there's definitely going to be guys that that can hit anywhere right like and suzuki is certainly one of them um so there's no knock on him um 
Montana had a couple of other players on his team that once they left Montana, they kind of fizzled. Um, but yeah, Freeman's one of those. Uh, looking at that Campo guy that you had just pointed out, he looks yeah. like he's going to be able to hit anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, even if, depending on which ratings Borland gets, not from a power standpoint, but that guy could easily hit three something. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a guy, too, uh, you know, just in terms of like hits and doubles and probably triples. I really like, is it Las Vegas that has that insane, like, shortstop? Like, yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It, 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 that, that actually, you know, I think his name is Che or Chi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it might, that might be, you know, we always talk about like the current players, like Suzuki's ratings are ridiculous. He might have the most ridiculous ratings, right? Yeah. Because not is only good. is all of his basic ratings good, but like he's like legitimately like almost maxed out on all of his defensive ratings. His speed is ridiculous. Stealing's ridiculous. Like, oh, I know. I would basically insane. trade anybody for him. He's elite at anything in the infield minus first base. He's second, right. third. And short. let's keep it real. He's he's elite at first base. You put him there one yeah. one spring training, <laughs> like he's going to be 100. Yeah. Right. Like, right. <laughs> I, I do think, though, um, looking at uh, – and this is where I, my argument with Borland is he's unique – is – currently as it stands, which obviously can change, Borland will be and should be a better hitter um, over a course of a career. Just looking at um, uh, uh, Che's uh, batting ratings, um, they're not quite up to Borland. Um, obviously, the defense is there with Che, which, like I mentioned, a lot of these shortstops are, are, are 90s to 100 shortstops. I know mine currently is like a 90 uh, defensive shortstop, but can't hit the ball. Um, Shea can hit the ball, but I, I, I do think Borland is, is unique in the sense that he's not going to hit home runs, right. but he's, you know, 90s everywhere else, but home runs. So I've got him just, just for what it's worth. And we all know that, you know, everybody's scout is it's unique to them. I've got Shea as, as a, as approximately a, a 20 point higher contact potential guy, but gap power slightly favors Borland. I potential is like 40 points higher for Borland and avoid K that they're almost identical. So just from that standpoint, uh, Shea may have a few points higher on the average, but I think the on-base percentage should be significantly higher for Borland because of the fact that, yeah, because of the fact that his I rating is so high. Yeah. I don't know if you've got, I've got him almost maxed out. I think on my scout. Right. Yeah. Like a 97 or something. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So the fact that Shea last year had a 397 on base percentage, I mean, I think it's safe to say like, look, like Borland is going to be a 400 plus on base guy. Like he's going to be a guy that you could, I would personally bat lead off. And because of his speed, he's going to cause problems for other teams. Right. Awesome. Right. Well, I know we're we're kind of getting on time here, so we'll we'll leave it to the the last one, which last topic, which isn't really much of a topic, more or less, just kind of a, a game, I guess. So, okay. random random stat of the day. Um, so these ones, it took me a little bit to find something semi. I don't know if you'd say interesting, uh, but more or less to kind of, you know, not find um, an easy guess. But really, this is just going to be kind of guess the team. Um, so. Uh, guess the the team that had and this is for all seasons um that had the highest war for 
pitchers as a, a team pitcher war. Um, like cumulative or in one season? Just one season. So what, what team Ooh, that's put tough. together the best pitching war for See, you? See, first, you know, Disney comes to mind. That's what I would have thought too. Um, just because their pitching has been so... I'm, I'm actually going to go because I know Chris Hill was on Milwaukee and I kind of lean Tampa Bay, but I'm actually going to say Milwaukee. I'm going to say your team. But Tampa Bay and Disney are the other two teams I'm thinking of. All right. Well, if you're getting a couple, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna toss out a couple. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Disney for uh, as as definitely one of my top threes. My other ones would either be uh, Oakland or Cleveland. Um, Honolulu, um, and then and then Paris. Wow. I'm ca- I'm kind of thinking this isn't pitching. I took a screenshot. This is my bad. Um, I took a screenshot of just the top 10. Um, and I think this is hitting. So that kind of changes this completely. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, this makes this a lot more interesting. We're definitely not going to get it. Dublin, number one. <laughs> oh, Def. So I, I but that, that's my bad. It, this is a hitting one. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't Montana, surprisingly, and this is why I picked this one. So Honolulu put up a 47 war. This is for wow. hitting in 2021. Like I mentioned, when it came to just home runs and just it seemed like hitting, it, the the 2021-22 years just seemed to kind of pop off. Paris in 2026 was 43 war. Um, and then Montana was third in 2022 at 42. So. Paris has been ridiculous, man. And the fact that all their guys are like 27 or younger, like, you know, for, for guys like me in that division, it's like, there's not an end in sight. Like they're, <laughs> you know, their best hitters. Like you look at like Nick McDonald, their first base when he had 46 home runs last year, he's 26. I mean, like all these dudes are super young and I'm just like, you know, my guys are all in their thirties. Like I'm going to be bad before his guys are no longer good. And he still has a, a deep farm system. Yeah, but so. it'll just rotate. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Paris wasn't very good for the first few years. So they kind of stocked up. Um, they stocked up early, but like, you know, you were saying there's no end in sight. Eventually it'll, it'll happen because like, so in that 2023 season that I was talking about where I had the, mm-hmm. the, the park, I mean, I, I was 87 and 75, right? So I was 12 games over 500, and I was fifth. Wow. So, and that's why, like, you, you know, when you're talking, like, right now, you guys have that division where there's, like, four or five teams that are just crushing it. Yeah, just like just beat each other to death with a club. Yeah, like <laughs> the liquid the, the liquid division, the, the LQD over here, the Latin Quarter, like, for the first, like, five seasons, like, we were very similar. Like we, I think we had like Kentucky who would win like a hundred games. And then like, I, I, it was almost like Chicago, Toronto, Cascadia and me like before, like Tampa Bay wasn't even really there yet. And it was like all five of us were just, we were like mid 80 wins. Like even then, like, you know, I had, I was 85 and 77 came in fifth and I was 95 and 67 came in first. Then that had the 87 fifth. Mm-hmm. And then I started kind of falling off a little bit, but, um, and right now I'm just in a financial disarray, but that's why I was like, our division still has the most wins overall. I know. I know we've, we've definitely, we've definitely heard that bill. I will, I will tell you, I just quickly looking at this, I was looking at the different teams 
and you know the upcoming projected starters granted right now you know i always find it funny when you see like the projected win totals you know and it's got like you know vegas finishing last in the division yeah that's people weird. don't realize well it's based off of the the people you have slotted in as starters and right right now everybody's you know putting in different guys but i will tell you i just got to bring this up real quick you know rusa has definitely over in tampa bay and this is somebody in your division like like what a stockpile of talent he's got russick privet and Pessler, all three of these guys were double digit. So good. I know all three of these guys were double digit game winners last year. And Oh, by the way, Russick had one, one game where he (laughs) lost and it was still a quality start. Like (laughs) you're, you know, he had a 1.44 ERA and 150 innings. Like, and I think, you know, I said this two years ago and at the time Mike said, no, no, Chris Hill's better. And I said, uh, I think you're underselling Rusick. I, I think, you know, Rusick is 25 years old. I don't know if we're going to see another guy. He might rewrite all the record books for pitchers. Yeah. Like he's uh, only getting better. hundred percent. I, I, I'm a piggyback off that. So obviously I had Hill. And at the time when Hill was re- winning, I think it was three Cy Youngs uh, in a row. Um, I was like, you know, Hill is kind of that pitcher, you know, of this decade. Rusick is, much much better than hill he's already got two cy youngs he's only 25 he hill has the most currently i think cicada um has two as well or maybe three um but i think i could easily see rustic winning you know four maybe even five right so he's the he's the suzuki of pitching yeah like i i think he ends up with five or six the only reason why i'm not he's he's not going to get his third this year because chris hill's going to get his third this year but other than that (laughs) but other than that i you know it 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 is amazing just to think of that dynamic trio if you will uh and you're in that division let me let me ask you guys real quick and i and i and then i'm going to let you finish up shane before we get out of here but bill shane i gotta ask you guys I, i love the fact that other than the wyatt Earp division basically every division has representation here and um, you guys have been in your division for a couple of years. So Bill, I'm going to start with you. Latin quarter division. You've already, you know, sp- said yourself like, Hey, listen, this is the winningest division in the PBA. Yes. We may be a little bit down, but how do you see this division playing out? Are, are you going to be a playoff contender again? Who's the up and coming team, the teams you got to worry about? Like what's your thoughts about the Latin quarter and where it's headed? Uh, well, you know, I don't even know how I made such a good run uh, last season. I mean, I know in the playoffs it was, uh, you know, defense. Um, this year I like my team. Um, I think given my division, I I do think I, I can finish at least in the top half. Um, obviously I'll have to probably squeak into second. I don't see myself winning a wild card against the French quarter division right now. Um but I like my team. Um, I do like Tampa Bay's pitching. Um, I think they're going to, they, they kind of remind me a little bit of, uh, you know, real life Braves of the, like the nineties where you got those mm-hmm. big three, uh, you don't even have to really score a lot of runs. Uh, Smoltz, and Maddox. <laughs> yeah. And then, then they had like Avery, right? Like even Avery came in and then yeah. you do one arm Abbott if you needed to. Um, they were stocked, but. I mean, the Yankees still beat them. Um, so how do you see this division playing out? I'm just curious to get your thoughts as somebody that's uh, in the division. I, with those three starters, unless, you know, unless anybody gets hurt, 
you know, like Russick was last year. I, I don't see anybody in our division who, you know, Kentucky used to be a juggernaut, but I'm going to have to give it to Tampa um, unless my, my rookies can, can upgrade. I'd like to think I'll come in second. Um, uh, I think Chicago will battle with me again. Uh, is it fair to say, not to cut you off, but is it fair to say that that uh, whoever doesn't get the second place spot is probably not going to get a I, wild I think card so. Considering... Yeah, that, that's yeah, and that's what I was kind of touching on. Like, I, if I don't finish, if like if I don't finish second, I think I'll finish third. But I don't think I'm going to beat one of the French Quarter okay. division. Like, I don't. Yeah, I think we're just getting two in, and that's it. So is it fair to say then that that Kentucky and and uh, Archie's uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, like they're probably they're probably at the bottom in your mind. Um, I, I think so. Um, and, and I haven't really looked, I haven't, I haven't really gone into depth about what happened to Kentucky because Kentucky, they were basically winning like a hundred games. They got old really yeah, fast. That's what I, and old. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was like, and, and again, that's probably why I didn't follow it. Meaning like I didn't necessarily see any weird moves or injuries right. or free agency. Um, so getting old makes sense. And I, I, I like to your point, you know, you've got some 30 year olds, so you might be running into that in a few years. Um, By the way, if you want to talk just real quickly, guys, if you want to talk about a list talent, like legitimate superstars, uh, a short list, like I'm saying one of the five best players in the entire league, Riso Nas has to be on that list. Oh Yeah. Like, like Kentucky has like, in my opinion, the best center fielder in the entire game. And it just sucks that, you know, he's 23, super young and he's going through a rebuild. Like by the time his team is really ready to compete again, like this kid's probably going to be like 30. (laughs) Like, like that's, that's the unfortunate part is we're not going to see Nas probably in the playoffs a ton, but like, I just wanted to mention, cause you mentioned Kentucky, like in my opinion, legitimately like one of the five best hitters in the entire game. He was a 2024 World Series MVP, which would put him at what 19 years of age. Yeah, yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah. We got we got Mike Trout reincarnated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and I will say he's probably going to prevent my center fielder from ever winning a Gold Glove. Um. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, anybody, anybody on our side, tr- trust me, I, I can't tell you how many times Jeff from from Vancouver has told me, well, you know what really sucks that I feel like I have the second best center fielder and he's never going to compete for a Gold Glove because Nas is just that much better than everybody else. Listen, Suzuki is on the arrow. That's that was automatic MVP every season. So <laughs> I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, my my center fielder this is going to be the first year he gets to play the whole season. Um, you know, he'll probably put up, you know, 14 or 15 zone rating, but he ain't going to put up 18, 19, like Nas is doing. I will say, and I don't know if you guys caught it, but game seven against Paris last year. And I started eight rookies. I, I saw that. So I saw and that's that. the thing. It's like, I, I like my team. We should be together for a while. I got to get you, through my financial. It wasn't, problems. and and you know, here's the thing: it wasn't just position players. Like the thing that absolutely scares me more than anything is, dude, you were throwing out pitchers like 
rookie pitchers just against this juggernaut Paris and <laughs> Vancouver, and they're just they just kept coming up big. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, like and and Fleming, I'll, I'll be honest, like his his postseason performance is the only reason why he's he, he's going to make the starting rotation. Um, he wasn't going to. Um, I've actually been a little down on him. He played but pretty he, lights uh, out. Oh yeah, he did. So he he definitely earned his spot back. Um, that's why I was kind of shopping Park because I've got six guys I want to pitch. Got it. Um, I just don't have room for them. They're not great, but I like them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Let's be honest. Like <laughs> over the course of uh, 162 games, the likelihood that one of your pitchers that pitched 200 plus innings gets hurt right. is 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 fairly high. So maybe it can be a long reliever for you. Shane, same question, ARL Little Italy, before we get out of here. Your division is fascinating, man, because within the last two years, actually, I'm sorry, three years, every single team in this division um, has been in the playoffs. Like, like there's been so much turnover, you know, top to bottom, you know, Montana, like represented the ARL, like multiple times in the world series. And all of a sudden, you know, you were there and your team was playing really well. Now Winnipeg is on top last year. Cleveland was in the world series year before last. What do you make of this division? I mean, if I'm being honest, um, I think it's probably one of the least exciting divisions right now. Um, I think, I think that could be, I mean, there, there's never been really a powerhouse, I guess you could say Montana, right. For a little while. I mean, they went to the world series three years in a row, but minus Montana, both Milwaukee, Cleveland, Salem, Winnipeg, Orlando has never really put together this really strong, you know, you know, um, year over year playoff runs is kind of mixed. Like you said, like I went for three years, I was out of it last year. Winnipeg was out of for, for many years and then they won the division. I really just think it's kind of, um, probably more or less a mediocre division, to be honest. What really excites me in the RL is the Wyatt division. I mean that, I mean, obviously Vegas won it last year. Palmetto is making an absolute run to kind of compete with Vegas. So that makes it really exciting. I think Disney and Honolulu Honolulu are right there as well to kind of compete. So I know how like the FRL French has kind of been really the exciting division to watch over the, over the last few years. But I think the, the Wyatt division on the ARL kind of gives um, at least some excitement um, on our side, which, you know, like we've mentioned, it's been called out. We've only won two world series. So, um, so yeah. I agree with you though. And you know what? I would say outside of the bombers, listen, you know, maybe Honolulu has a slightly lower chance than Vegas or Palmetto, but I would say outside of the bombers, any one of those five teams could win the division. Any one of those five teams are playoff hopefuls, um, which makes that a suit, like you said, a super interesting division because it really will come down to, you know, how is Disney playing against Palmetto? How does Oakland play against Honolulu? And I will tell you, this is something I shared with Mike, but if you look at, you know, if you put any credence into, um, you know, the projected standings, you know, it'll tell you like, hey, what your team should have won versus what you actually won. Bob had the biggest differential. The Oakland Oaks had the biggest differential last year between what they, what they should have won based off of what their talent was and, and, and what the runs they scored and things like that versus, you know, what they actually did, which was minus nine. 
So, I mean, you add nine wins to this team. They're, they're a playoff team. They were a playoff 100-win team two years ago. So I definitely would not write off Oakland, um, you know, kind of heading into the sunset. I think that you'll see Oakland rebound. I think they're going to be really competitive this year. That's a super competitive division. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think I think New York, like you mentioned, is really probably the one that um, still trying to kind of figure out what's going on there. But um, the other five teams are, like you mentioned, super competitive. Disney constantly feels a really good ball club. Mm-hmm. I think I think in terms of you know two of the you know superstar stack teams, it's really got to be Vegas and Palmetto. Um, obviously we know what Vegas brings to the, toma- to the table, but Palmetto, um, with all of their draft, <laughs> their top, you know, three, four, five draft picks over the year, you're kind of seeing that to fruition right now. Um, we, you know, he, he, he essentially overturned or flipped his first round pick of last year mm-hmm. to kind of speed up the clock, the win now clock to get, like we've mentioned, Absolutely. Campo. To, to, to really go up against Vegas. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to that division this year. I, I agree with you, and I, I agree with you. I think Palmetto is is right there looking eye-to-eye with Vegas. I don't think it's any more Vegas's leaps and bounds better. You give that team an, an additional year of experience, additional year of development, and, and they're going to be right there with them. Um, Bill, Shane, I appreciate you guys coming on today. Bill, any final thoughts here about anything we've talked about or anything you want to comment on before we, we, we head out of here? Um, uh, a couple things, uh, and uh, not so much what we did. I've just, as we've been talking, I've been kind of poking around and just kind of looking at some nifty things. You had mentioned the Bombers, so I was checking out their team. They've got uh, some good little prospects coming up, and I see one of them as a guy. I feel like he was one of the original, like, IFAs that everybody really wanted, and uh, I'm pretty sure he was the first large IFA contract, the Bombers paid $12 million for him. It's this John Salsato. Uh, yep. He's going to be their right fielder. Might make. I, I'd assume he might make the team this year. Uh, he's a seventh-ranked prospect, I think, in the league right now. He, he got 100 contact. Looks good, but he's. I'm surprised he's only developed as a two-star That's overall what I was right say. now. Considering he signed in 2002. Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm, that's a little concerning, but he's, he, I mean, look at his numbers and yeah. the minors. I mean, he's just raking. So I think he's going to hit well. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to see how he does because that's just one of those guys that I've been following. Um, uh, and the other thing I noticed is that during spring training and obviously it's spring training, I don't know if you guys have checked out, you may have, uh, Brian, uh, Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, there, Steve Vaughn. Yep. Have you seen what he's done, uh, over the, uh, over the spring? Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, he's been, he's been lights out. <laughs> yeah. He's only given up one hit each game. That's it. Yeah. Like no runs. Uh, yeah, hopefully he doesn't get the curse. I had uh, in C- Sizo, there was two seasons where he pitched a perfect spring training and then just got rocked. Yeah, well, I told I told uh, Jeff because he uh, – you, you know how there's always like that one team that's kind of like your quote-unquote kryptonite? Yeah. He, says, he says Seattle's that for him because he'll have like a one or two run lead. And by the seventh, eighth inning or whatever, you know, I'll hit a home run or whatever, and I'll just – I'll pull ahead at the end. And he's like, dude, I can just never beat Seattle. So I told him, I said hey, – you know, he, said, he mentioned to me, like, about Vaughn, and I said, well, that's because you haven't played Seattle this spring. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, yeah. friendly banter between the league. But, uh, 
Yeah, you know, it, it, I can't wait. I don't know what it is, but man, it's it's almost like it's almost like when real baseball or real football season has ended. And I only say real because we know that this is online. But man, it's like the off season always seems to drag, and I'm just like, man, I can't wait for the regular season to start again. <laughs> yeah, we had we had the commissions uh, vacation this 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 off season as well. So, and uh, I will say though, I mean, you know, I know you said the little Italy division isn't. Uh, looking sexy but those milwaukee uniforms are still spot on <laughs> those are still, those are still the only like my, thing going from milwaukee right those, now. Are, those are pretty much hey, my favorite hey, uniforms i was gonna say you know what i i don't love the fact that when you click on them you can't see them but you know what uh, i'm still pretty proud of the uniforms that i made uh when i first joined the lead the uh the the the, the black and and teal so uh they go along with my new shark logo but uh we are running up against it. I do like the lightning uniforms as well. Shane, let me uh, kick it over to you. Any final thoughts here before we head out? Once again, I just really want to appreciate, uh, you know, applaud you guys for, for hanging in and, and helping out. We, we definitely appreciate it. And I hope the league really enjoys the contribution you guys have made tonight. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm good to go. All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have here from the PBA Poddammit podcast. Once again, special th- thanks to our guest, Jeff from Dublin, uh, Bob, or excuse me, Pill from Long Island and also Shane from the Milkman. That's all the time we have here on the PBA Poddammit podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Good night, everyone.